All right, so this morning we're continuing our study in the book of Ephesians. Uh, and just as a quick reminder what Ephesians is all about, Ephesians is a letter from the Apostle Paul to the church at Ephesus. And what Paul is describing in this letter uh, creates for us a manual of sorts. That's why we've named the class what we've named the class, How to Build a Church. Uh, because when you go you quickly discover that there's a lot of good instruction that is timeless, that applies to the church. And, and no, matter, uh, uh, no matter your background, no matter your, what, what, uh, what place in life you're coming from, what Paul emphasizes is that, is that in Christ, our union with Christ, again, no matter what you were classified before, sinner, uh, righteous, Gentile, Jew, immoral, whatever the, the label was, you now have a new identity in Christ. And once you were far off, and now you've been brought near by the blood of Christ, that's your new identity, especially as we talk about uh, identity in our culture today. But given your new identity, uh, the fact that you now have the Spirit of Christ in you, that will inevitably produce a certain kind of behavior. Just again, a reminder, we have six chapters in the book of Ephesians, and uh, we talked a little bit about indicative and imperative, the, the, the basic uh, rundown of that is the Lord will never give you a commandment in Scripture, never, without giving you first a reminder of who He is to enable you to carry out the commands that He's given. So we're in the latter part of, of, uh, of Ephesians, the last three chapters, and so it's going to feel commandment-heavy directives, okay? But again, that all comes after those first three chapters that remind you over and over and over again who you are in Christ and how you are to carry out the uh, the imperatives that you've been given in, in Scripture. So we're going to read about some of this behavior um, that, uh, that we're being called to engage in. Uh, and, and remember, when you are called to this kind of behavior, don't, don't let it weigh you down, because remember, this is all a part of sanctification. Sanctification is a lifelong process. It's a slow process, but it is a process that He begins, He begins in you, and, and empowers you to, 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 to go through. He, he invites you in and will complete the work that he began in you, as we, uh, as we learned from another one of Paul's letter in, in Philippians. So uh, we're going to be going through Ephesians chapter 6, starting in verse 5. We just have a small little section here, and uh, it, is, it is loaded because it's one of these topics that when you hear some of these words uh, rendered in your, your Bible as uh, slaves or bondservants, immediately all of our antenna go up. Like what, what's, what's, what's being said here? want to be really clear. So this is Ephesians 6, verse 5 and following. Can you all say okay? You too? Okay, good. <laughs> Bond servants, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling. Already there's probably some people that, are, that feel triggered by words like masters and servants. Uh, with, with a sincere heart as you would Christ, not by the way of eye service as people pleasers, but as bond servants of Christ doing the will of God from the heart, rendering service with, with a good will as to the Lord and not man, knowing that whatever good anyone does, this he will receive back from the Lord, whether he's a bond servant or is free. Masters, do the same to them and stop your threatening, knowing that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven and that there is no partiality with him. Okay, first of all, what are your initial impressions about this passage? When you read a passage like this, how does it you? Is there anything that bothers you by it? Or is there anything that, uh, is this one of these passages that maybe we want to avoid? Let's just not talk about. What do you think? What are some initial impressions? Don't be bashful here. 
Your version does not say bond servants, it says. It, isn't that the truth? It's really easy for us to say, slaves, obey your earthly masters. Colonial America, right? It's still happening. Okay, so how does that grab us? That, that may bother us a little bit because I think the expectation is here is that why wouldn't Paul denounce it? Why wouldn't Paul flat out denounce it? Why does he say something like, Masters, good observation. Someone else? Anything else? I, I touched on that a little bit this morning in the sermon, and that is all authority. All authority. If, if there is an authority on earth, it has been placed there, it has been ordained by God for that person to be there, even if it's a corrupt, corrupt uh, uh, authority. And sometimes that bothers us because we, our question is, why would God do that? Why would God allow that? But even remember, a reflection, even a poor reflection is still a reflection. And we talked a little bit about this last week. There is a heavenly order. There's a moral order to the creation in which God has made us. And even, even if it is a poor moral authority, it is still a reflection of the ultimate, the perfect moral authority. So in that respect alone, something I say this morning in the sermon is the idea that you, you always tell the truth to someone because you are face-to-face -face with an, a fellow image-bearer, someone who is someone's made in the image of God, you give them the dignity and the respect because of the fact that they're an image bearer. And so in that respect, same thought process, authority is bearing the image of the ultimate authority, even if they do it poorly. Okay, so there's a certain respect that goes along with it. It still makes us uncomfortable because we wish this were, we wish this maybe we're saying something different, something a little stronger. Anything else? Any other observations? A bond, okay, I'm, I'm going to get into that a little bit. And, and again, this is, not, this is not a way of uh, trying to say, oh, it's not quite what you think. It's not quite what you think because it, it's not just the same as, for instance, slaves in colonial America. It's a little bit different. And it is. But again, a, a lot of people who were bond servants, even back in, in this time, weren't happy about it. Uh, a, a lot of people weren't, uh, weren't, weren't pleased with their position in life that they have to be a bond servant. So there's, uh, I'll get into that in a little bit, but uh, good observation too. Because again, it still, it still can certainly apply. Yeah, Danny. Great observation. So in other words, what's happening here, he's not just saying, oh, just status quo, let's just keep it the same. He's still saying something that's revolutionary here. He's still saying something that is, is, uh, is way off the charts in terms of what was the, the cultural norm back then. He's saying there's still a new reality here based on who you are in Christ. Remember, this is all reflective of those first three chapters of, of, uh, of, of Ephesians. You are, a new, you are a new person in Christ, whether you are free or a slave, whether you are a Greek or a Jew. It's now a new normal, and that changes everything. That changes even this relationship. So again, he doesn't just leave it alone, right? He doesn't just leave it alone. He does very specific response uh, to what is going on in the, in the cultural uh, um, time, okay? So first off, uh, a lot of people have historically misused or misinterpreted this passage, suggesting that, that the Bible condones slavery. That's not what's happening here. 
couldn't be further from the truth. Slavery in the Roman Empire, unlike slavery in the 18th and 19th century, wasn't based on race. So this context, it's not based on race. And second of all, to be a slave in the Roman Empire uh, was not a lifetime sentence, so to speak. Okay, it's not a one-for-one one one comparison. So in other words, what we want to first be aware of, uh, historically speaking, if anyone has used this passage to, to justify slavery, they're, they're off, okay? They're, they're off. Because it was common in that day, this was not unheard of, if you were young, rather than going out in real certainty of finding something, you would, you would sell yourself into slavery because it represented the best possible way for, for job security, for providing something, okay? There were other reasons to go into slavery back then, too. Sometimes it's because you owed a giant debt, because you, you were uh, an indentured servant, okay, without any real certainty of finding something to, to be able to repay that debt. So you'd sell yourself into slavery to pay for the debt. That's the first thing. Comparing slavery in, say, colonial America to slavery in ancient Rome isn't an application still not the most pleasant of circumstances here. No one, no one really wanted to be a bondservant, right? Okay, second of all, even with those issues aside, even if we assume that Paul is speaking to slaves who are uh, in a less than ideal situation, right? For those people who are wondering and wanting Paul again to make a commentary or a condemnation on slavery, why, you know, why isn't he doing that? Why doesn't he just do that? And again, as Danny was pointing out, if you look closely, if you read closely in the passage, by the time you get to verse 9, right, uh, you, and, and, and you read books in the Bible like Philemon, he's actually saying something very profound to slaves and masters. He's leveling the playing field. And, and this was, again, revolutionary back then. But why wouldn't Paul come out stronger, right? Why wouldn't he come out and just denounce it all together? This is wrong, right? There's a sense in which the New Testament says, we're not going to answer those questions, not, not just yet, okay? Because believe it or not, that, what Paul is struggling to say, is not the primary issue. The New Testament writers say, we're not going to answer those questions, not at first. First, we want to tell you something of Christ. We want to tell you something of Jesus. We want you to understand Christ. We want you to understand who Jesus is. That's the primary objective. Think about it. Think about it. Does it make sense to say... I don't know if Jesus is God or not, but I, I want to know what Christianity has to say about slavery first. That doesn't make sense. The point is, is if Jesus isn't God, who cares what the Bible says about anything, right? It doesn't matter. If Jesus isn't God, who cares what anybody thinks? It's just all a matter of opinion at that point. On the other hand, if Jesus is God, then we have something to talk about. Once you understand that, it, it sort of sorts things out and other things start to make sense, but not until then. Does that make sense? We first have to, we first have to identify who Jesus is, and if what he says is authoritative, and if we can come to that conclusion, then these other things we can start to put in order. But first we have to establish who Jesus is. Does that make sense? Got that? All right. Our faith is one that says, Seek first the kingdom of God, and all these other things will, will be added unto you. The first thing Paul is going to say to slaves isn't, well, let's debate whether or not it's right or wrong for you to leave, wh whether or not we should start a movement. That's not what he says. The first thing he says is, tomorrow, tomorrow, if you're filled with the Holy Spirit, you've been changed by Christ. And, and, and if you're now empowered by Christ, how is that going to necessarily 
affect the way in which you deal with your master. He's dealing with immediacy. He's dealing with what are you going to do when you wake up tomorrow? How does your identity in Christ change who you are and how you interact with others today? Not just tomorrow, but today, right now. See that? He's not condoning slavery. He isn't talking about how slaves are going to live their lives starting right now. He, he's a, uh, he is talking about how slaves are starting to live their lives right now. He's immediate. Makes sense. Makes sense so far. I'm going to make sure I go nice and slow here in case anyone has any... Okay. Uh, now let's get into some practical discussion here. These ver- I'll just keep it up there. What these verses uh, mean for us today. How do we apply this? You know, is it a stretch to connect what Paul is saying here about slavery to our own work, to our own jobs, to what we do day in and day out, uh, whether or not you are looking for a job, whether or not you uh, are not professionally employed by someone, but what it is you are about the task of doing day in and day out. Can we apply this to what we do every day? All right? And uh, we've talked about this for years at Christ Prez, and, and, and like a uh, same way we talked about parents and, chi- and children last week, wives and husbands the week before, whether or not you classify yourself under any of those titles, there's something here for all of us to know and understand. It's all part of the same principle. It's all under this umbrella of, of authority, all right? And God has very specific ideas about authority. Okay, so last week we talked about authority as it relates to children and parents, uh, or even adults and their adult parents. There's still a command to honor your parents and that, that commandment does not have an expiration date. That's something that we said. Why? Because of what we just said about authority. It's still a reflection. Your parents are that first reflection of the authority of God, that first picture of it. All right? And for that reason, our parents, because of the, the picture the Lord creates in, in them, again, whether they were good at it or not, the authority is there. It exists whether we like it or not. Uh, authority, therefore, isn't something evil. It's something good. It points to the ultimate authority of the universe, even if we don't do it well. All right? So, in your jobs, your daily vocation, your daily vocation, uh, the things that you, you do day to day, day and out, chances are, somewhere along the way, at some point, you do answer to someone. You know, I, I don't care what it is you do. At some point, you do answer to someone. Chances are someone is in an authoritative position over you. Even if you're the CEO, the owner of the company, right? Chances are you answer to someone, be it stakeholders or, or a board or whatever. You do answer to someone. Someone is an authority over you. And like with our parents, any authority over us is by design. In this passage, we may not be called slaves and masters here. We may not be called bond servants, but the principle still applies. The principle that, that, that Paul is calling bond servants and how they relate to their, their masters still applies to you and I because of that same reflective authority umbrella that applies. Okay, so how do we do that? How do we apply, who wants to give me some ideas here? How do we apply this to our daily activity, our daily vocations? What it is we do day in and day out, whatever it is you do. Who's got some ideas for us? How do we apply this? Rendering service Rendering your work with a good attitude. Not going in gro- groaning and grumpy. Why, why do we go into work groaning and grumpy? Because we're people. Yeah. 
What else? How else can we apply this? That's a really good one. How else can we apply this passage, you think, to what it is you do it day in and day out? Making it about Jesus and not yourself. This, we're going to go into three things. If you've ever read the book, Every Good Endeavor by uh, Tim Keller, it's a really great book. And, and really a lot of this material is adapted right from that. It's very good. But this, these are the three principles that, that come right out of the book. And, and that's one of them. Okay, that's one of them. In fact, let's, uh, anyone else want to chip in or anything really quick before we continue on with that thought? Yeah, Marla. cautionary and there's guardrails here that prevent you from developing a hard heart because again if you go into your work with the wrong perspective with the wrong order of priorities it will give you a hard heart it certainly will you guys are already touching on a lot of what I'm going to say here but that's great I don't care that's great okay here's here's where it gets really practical also where it gets really challenging if you're unhappy in your job if you're miserable with your work and I dare say every one of us has been there at some point to be clear, I am not, okay? If, you, <laughs> if you're miserable at your work, if you're miserable at the day-in, day-out thing that you do, there's something deeper at play. There's something deeper beyond what's on the surface, okay? Let's talk about first, what work isn't. These are important things, okay? What work isn't. Generally speaking, we have two false views of what work is. When we think of our jobs and what we're doing on a day-to-day -day basis, generally speaking, there are two false views. The first is to say, or to believe, or to think that work is a curse. If you start to think that work is a curse and only a means to get to the, to the point that, that we can then rest, that's not true. That's not true. That's the first false view of work, and we're gonna unpack these a little bit more, but the second false view of work is that our work is, is, is where we find our meaning and our identity, okay? We tend to think of our work as, as what defines us. We work not to rest, but we rest just enough so that we can get back to work, right? Okay, let, let's start to pick each of those apart. If we work as, as a, uh, if we think work is a curse, you know, this is, this is what we were talking about a moment ago, we were just touching on it. You know, if you think work, is, if you view work as a curse, you don't really care uh, whether or not you're getting anything done, whether or not you're helping anybody, wh whether you enjoy what you're doing. Uh, you know, I just want to make enough money so I can get the things that I want. If that's your mindset, what, what happens? If you go into work with that mindset, think it's a curse, I don't really care, I'm just doing this to get it done, what's the ultimate result of that? You're going to hate your job. You're going to hate what you do. You're going to dread going in every single day, okay? And not only that, but, but th even an element of dishonesty comes to play there right? Pride in your work, you know, goes down when you, when you hate what you're doing. Quality of product goes down when you hate, it is, hate what you're doing. You know, you don't have pride in your work. You, you don't see yourself as a, as a servant. In that case, uh, you're going to cut corners. Uh, to get out of your people, you're going to work strictly for short-term purposes, getting paid, not the long-term, you know, the good of the community. That, that's how your job can devolve if you view work as a career. That's number one. Um, you'll, be, you'll be miserable. If you view work as a curse, ultimately you'll be uh, miserable. On the other hand, if you view work uh, as your life, 
as to, as to what defines you, the greater danger on this side is that you'll become a workaholic and you'll burn out. If, if your identity is dependent upon what you do and what you accomplish and you have to uphold that identity and you have to maintain it, you're going you're gonna to wear yourself out. This is a form, believe it or not, of works-based righteousness. You know, find favor. I've got to maintain this image. I've got to maintain who I am because it is my identity. And if that slips at all, I, I'm less. I'm less of, of who I want to be. And if I'm less of who I want to be, then, then I better work harder. I better keep going. You see how that can be a burnout really quick? You can really quickly burn out if, if you start to think that your work identifies you. If you've tied your identity to your job, uh, you're going to hate life. You're going to hate it, okay? So those are two false views of work that most often people devolve to because they don't understand what's being said in this passage. Work either comes, becomes first or becomes uh, a means of... But you need to understand what work is, okay? So, any questions on that much before we get into what work is? All right? We're going to talk a little bit about what work is. Um, what is work? So, we've talked about what work isn't. What do we say, what, 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 is, uh, what is work? And you could probably, you know, maybe use some deductive reasoning. This is what we decided what work isn't, so therefore it is. Any ideas? Any thoughts? Glorify, glorifying God, reflecting of the, the, the dominion that he's put uh, you over, which again is reflective of his dominion over creation. If we think of ourselves as reflections of the one who is at work and the one who is over all things, suddenly that's a mindset change. Okay, that's a, diff that's a different perspective because now you're reflecting... really important, okay? Um, first of all, let's just say, here's a great example also. This is all from uh, um, the uh, Every Good Endeavor. If I decided that I wanted to make a lectern just like this one, and I wanted to do it, I wanted to do it all by myself without anybody's help. I wanted to build this lectern, and in purpose, I'm going to do it by myself. First of all, if I weren't going to rely on anyone else's work, do you know what that would mean? That would mean I couldn't go to Home Depot to get the, the lumber, okay? If I'm not relying on anyone else's work, I need to go out and cut down the tree and, and, and get the lumber myself. Oh, but even that, even that, how am I going to get, how am I going to get the tree? I'd, I'd first have to, to go out and bring the lumber back from the tree that I cut down to be able to bring it out. But even before that, how am I going to cut down the tree, Right? Where am I going to get the tools? I have to figure out make to be able to cut down the tree. And, and, uh, and how do I make those tools? See, the reality is, if I wanted to make this lectern all by myself and not rely on anyone else the rest of my life, it would literally take me the rest of my life. What makes the difference between civilization and nothing is work. Okay? And we share in one another's work. We are useful to each other. We draw out the potential of creation. We make the potential actual. We bring order out of chaos. Who does this? Who is the primary one to bring order out of chaos? 
It's God, the creator of all things, who brought order out of chaos. Look, we are reflecting, we are reflecting his work, bringing order out of chaos. I can't do it by myself. To do that, we have to, we have to reflect order to bring something, to bring potential, to bring something potential into something actual, all right? So even if, even if it's your job, even if it's your job, all you to sit on a, on, at the end of an assembly line and just button, if you see that as, a, as, a, as a, a greater view of the whole complex, the way the whole able to bring the potential out of creation, you can, you can put that creation in the greater realm of the so, so, again, Paul is writing to slaves. And, and if this theology of work can work for slaves bond servants and if you can say slaves the menial work that you do you do for the lord you do as a reflection of the lord if you're a slave and you see that as a part of everything that god made work to be to bring order out of chaos you can do that with joy even you can do that as awful as as, as being a bond servant might have been or as being a slave might have been you can still even do that with joy so you see what work is you guys are your little image bearers your little image bearers, you, you, and in your work, you're bringing order out of chaos, bringing the potential to actual. You're reflecting his character. You're reflecting his nature, okay? This means that no job is insignificant. Uh, if you see your job in the light of the whole complex and the way God has enabled us to bring the potential out of creation, then you can do your job with joy. That makes sense? Any thoughts or questions or input on that? That's a big deal. To realize that, is a game changer because again it, it pulls you out of yourself it pulls you out of this is for me and 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 realizing that i'm reflecting someone else i'm reflecting the, the the wonder of someone else and it changes how you approach your job okay uh i want to talk about calling okay uh, that work was there from the beginning work was there from the beginning that Adam and Eve were, were, were brought into the world and had to work before the fall. Before the fall. Do you know the, uh, the, the first question in the Shorter Catechism? You know, what is the chief man? To glorify God and enjoy him forever. Okay? That, that, is, that is your prime, that's your reason for living. To glorify God and enjoy him forever. So even when you think all the way back in, in the garden, when you, when you think about that, was the garden just a place to keep Adam and Eve busy? Was the garden a place to, uh, to just give them chores? The garden, believe it or not, and this, for some of you this is going to be difficult for you to wrap your head around, the garden was the first temple. The garden was the first place of worship where God communed with man. And, and even, even if you go beyond that, even if you go to the tabernacle, and even if you go beyond the tabernacle to the temple, it's, it's this progression. And it's all built on the same principle. God inviting man in to worship, okay? So if the garden is a temple and your chief end is to glorify God forever, the, the work of the garden wasn't just task doing. It was worship. It was something that was, was to be reflective of, of the, the community that exists between God and man. He's calling you in. And so even the work that existed in the garden before the fall, before the fall, has greater purpose other than just task doing. See, that, that's huge to understand that. Um, 
even after the fall, work was cursed, but in and of itself, work is not a curse. And that's really important to understand. It's an important balance. It's difficult to see that. In Genesis 3, the Lord said, Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles shall bring forth from you. Again, that means no matter how good you are, no matter how good your work environment is, you're always going to find thorns and you're always going to have frustrations. Pieces won't quite fit together, uh, but you can't jump from that to saying that because there are thorns, therefore work is a curse. Too big of a leap. Work is cursed, but that does not mean it is a curse. Do you understand that distinction? Very important. Because again, if you go back, if you fall back into the pattern of believing that work is a curse, you're going to hate it. Remember what work is, okay? Um, in uh, 1 Corinthians uh, verse 7, verse 17, Paul says this, Only let each person lead the life that the Lord has assigned to him and to which God has called him. And, and again, Paul goes on to essentially say that God calls people to himself who are in various situations. And often God has a purpose for the new believer in that very situation that they're, they're found in. And if that's the place to which God has called him, where you are, where you are right now, whatever it is you're doing day to day, that is your calling. You're not there by accident. You're not there because oh, I just got to get through the day. You are because God has put you there. And again, you, so when you start to think of it that way, when you start to think of why did God put me here, it's not to survive. It's, it's for something, something that he's called you to, 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 to be an influence in that area. It's never just there to, to slug it through and, and try and survive. There's something that he's called you to in that moment, in that purpose. So your work, whatever it is, is a calling. And again, that's why it's something we've, we've always uh, emphasized and really stressed in this church is that to tear down the delineation between the sacred and the secular, you know, if you are called to be a, uh, a plumber, that's a calling from God. If you are called to be a, uh, a Sunday school teacher, that's a call from God. If you're called to be a school teacher, that's a calling from God. Everything, everything. Because can you imagine if, uh, if we were all called to, to be employed at the church? Society would be a mess and we would have, we'd be thumbs here if everyone was working and employed for the church. Every, so God puts people in different places around the world to influence, to be, to be the hands and feet of Christ in that realm, whatever it is. So where you find yourself, that's your calling. That's where you're called to be. Um, let's see. There's a, one more illustration that I want to pull out, and uh, only because I love it so much. Uh, and again, not my own here. But do you remember the movie uh, An old movie for some of you. I mean, some of you, that's, it's an old. Uh, uh, it's based on a true story. And there are two guys who perfectly illustrate this principle that we're talking about here. Eric Liddell and Harold Abrahams. These are two guys in the movie and they're runners and both want to be gold medalists for Great Britain in, 19, in the 1920s. They're doing the same thing. They're doing the same work. They're doing the same training day in, everything. They have the same objective and the same, same patterns of work. And at one point, Eric Liddell's sister uh, is afraid that because of his pursuit of, of being a runner, that he's not gonna be a missionary to China. And he says to her, you have to understand I believe God made me for China, but he also made me fast. And when I run, I feel his pleasure. That gives me chills every time I think about that. Uh, when I run, I feel his pleasure. The biblical view of work, the biblical view of your calling says your work is not for money. 
It's, it's not for yourself. It's, it's for him. That's the biblical view of work that says, God made me fast, and when I run, I am pleasing him. I'm using the abilities that he gave me, and I'm pleasing him, and I feel his pleasure in that. Meanwhile, Harold Abrams, the other runner, says, I, I've never known contentment. It, it, I'm forever in pursuit, and I don't even know what it is I'm chasing, he says. It, it's abilities without purpose. It's abilities without a focal point. This, this is what Paul is saying here in verse 6 and 7. This is the purpose of work, but not by the way of eye service as people pleasers, but as bond servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, rendering service with a good will as to the Lord and not to man. Harold Abrams is chasing after man, is chasing after ple being pleasing to men. And so that's the thing that we need to understand in terms of, of uh, uh, our, our work. Why are we doing it? Why are we, why are we doing it? Is it a calling for me? Uh, is it a burden that I don't even know I'm chasing? Is it because I view work as a curse? Or I'm trying to affix identity to my work? The biblical view of things is an act of rendering service with goodwill as to the Lord. It is an act unto the Lord, day in and day out. Okay, uh, I think that's a good place to put a pin on that because I got to get back to the service in a second. But any, any other thoughts, comments, or questions? Any uh, just even practical observations that maybe even say, Larry, I try to do this. I really do, but I still think work is a drag. You know, is there, is there any comment like that? Anyone want to talk about something like that? What do you have? Is everyone here perfectly content in their work every single day? Mm -hmm. Work can be a drag. And again, it does have thorns and thistles. Yeah. Yeah. You know, a lot of times, something I struggle with at work is, and it's something from society saying, like, women aren't paid as much as men. You know, you've got all this other stuff you're doing, but you're also working. So someone might say, why are you doing this? You know, and all these things. It's like, I'm working just as hard, but watching other people go before me. And it's this storm that can get in my head. And then I love this. Yeah, and at the same time, you have to remember, you know, that doesn't mean you don't, you stop uh, fighting for things uh, like, uh, or injustice. There's an injustice in the workplace that you don't speak your mind, but again, that, even your motivation for that on who you are in Christ and as a reflection of Christ, but if it's for selfish gain, then it's a game changer. Then you start wearing your, your fingers to the nub because uh, you're, you're working for yourself and not as a reflection of of who Christ is, who God, the creator is. Yeah, Sam, no, you're, you're, uh, you're Sam, you're uh, Will, thank you, yeah, yeah. The image you brought up of the, um, the guy on the assembly line just pushing the button. Mm -hmm. And um, it's, it's uh, I guess the challenge is to see, to, to beat that guy and see mm -hmm. the, the glorious uh, position you're in and the role you're, you're playing in the, the grand cathedral of God's creation. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and that's 
I mean, that's, that's a, a good question because it, you know, I myself, if I'd be just totally honest with you, I feel like I, I didn't understand this until I was a good uh, 40-something years into my life. Because again, I, I listened to the culture and I listened to the culture tell me what it took to, uh, to succeed, what it took to advance. And blessedly, blessedly, I, uh, I, I found myself enjoying what I did here, teaching a Sunday school class as a lay person, I found I enjoyed that far greater than anything I did in, in my professional realm. Okay, so what do I do there? How do I bridge that gap? You know, what, what is my perspective? It's reflective of what Eric Liddell said. I, I found the thing that, uh, that I believe God, I felt God's pleasure when I engaged in that, that role. Okay, so now you have to say, now you really have to start being honest with yourself and saying, okay, uh, what is it that God made me to do? And uh, how do I pursue that? Because again, if God has given you a, a gifting, a skill set, he didn't do that for nothing. He, he, he gave you those skills, those things to use for a purpose, okay? And if you don't pursue that, how will you ever know the, the pleasure that Eric Liddell is, is talking about? So I, the, the, the example of a guy pushing a button at the assembly line over and over and over again all day long is a bit of hyperbole because if really that's all you're doing all day long, I think you can do better, <laughs> you know? But at the same time, if you do understand your, your place within that whole structure, that's what the point is, is that even that isn't something mundane. And so again, you, you have to have, take an honest assessment of yourself and say, you know, what are my motives? What are my motives for engaging in this work versus this work. And if I believe that I'm, I'm skilled to, 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 to pursue this work, I'm gonna do that because I believe that's what God made me to do. Um, and again, sometimes that involves a risk. Sometimes that involves, I left my whole career behind to, 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 to come work at a church like this one that is pretty dysfunctional right now. But, but again, but again I, 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 I really believe, and again, it took me 40 something years to get to a place where I, I feel like I understood that. Um, and so patience is important, but really also understanding and, and, and seeking the principles that we read about here and really understanding what's happening here in, in Ephesians 6. Uh, because again, if you understand those things, it starts to make a little bit more sense. And I'm not saying I've got it all figured out now, uh, but I think I'm, I'm better off than I was 10 years ago in terms of what I'm doing and, and where I'm going and why I'm doing it. Um, anyone else? That relates to my vocation, but, you know. I think just what you had in the sermon also goes, what I struggle with a lot is, you know, the rich young ruler, you know, should I just give everything I've got to the poor? And I don't think that's what Jesus means necessarily for me, what I need to do, but essentially, is there anything standing in between me and Jesus? Absolutely. Anything that I'm putting first rather than this? That's it. I promise you, the more you read it, the more it changes you. It's, it's funny how that works, but I promise you that works. Uh, and you're right. It's a great comparison to, to, to pull in the, the, uh, the rich young ruler there. Uh, and again, I didn't talk about this in the sermon, because the principal question to the rich young ruler is not, are you, are you, uh, it's not a commandment to go sell everything you have. There's a question behind the question. That question is, who is your God? 
Who is, what is most important to you? And you can ask that question about your vocation too. In your pursuit of whatever it is you're doing, who is your God? What am I pursuing here? Is it, is it my own glory? Is it my own notoriety? Is it my own success? Or am I pursuing something beyond that? Am I pursuing something in the name of Christ? Okay, and I can't help but see uh, Danny Rader back here who, who plays the guitar for, he's a musician. Okay, so in other words, you don't have to, to go find a place of employment at the, at the, at the work. You, you, can, you can go play on a stage and do it for the glory of God. And you can find, and you can find all the, the meaning and calling and everything in that. Again, don't, don't be confused in thinking that I got to go work for a church now. But it is understanding what you're equipped to do and doing that for the sake of his kingdom. It's a big, big difference. Okay? Randy, too, plays a piano <laughs> for a living. All right, someone else? Anyone else? Oh, did you have something? Is it short or long? <laughs> <laughs> Yep. That, that's, a, that's a really hard lesson to learn it's because my, I have a son right now. My youngest son literally works in a drive-thru. He works in the window of Chick-fil-A. And I often, it's a great place to work, by the way. I have a friend that, that uh, was, used to be here. You can do that. You, you, what you're going to find out soon enough is that even in being paid, in this job, you will also find in this job too. There has to be extra dollar an hour. There has to be something. And what I try and teach him is that you're you're learning something in that environment. You're learning something there that you will be able to use for whatever it is that you're called to doing. You know whatever it is. So again, there's not a wasted moment in your sanctification. Not a wasted moment. I'm repeating my sermon now. So. Let, let me go ahead and close in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, again, we thank you for your word. We thank you for it is good, it is true, it is right. Uh, help us to know that. Help us to remember that. Uh, and, 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 and hold on to these promises so that uh, we can do things for your glory, for your honor, not for our own sake, uh, but because of you, because you created us to glorify you and enjoy you forever. And we thank you for that. Uh, we pray these things in the name of Christ. Amen. Don't forget, I'll send out an email about the, uh, the, the, the potluck breakfast next week. So be looking for that email.